Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. I'm just going to do a bit of a solo episode today. Something not too long, just answer between one and two questions. Uh, I'm under a slight bit of pressure um, because I have a stag party in Newcastle this weekend. Uh, some of you might know it as a Bucks party, I think, in America. Is that what you call a stag party? Um, or in Australia, I think they call it Bucks party. But stag party, my friend's wedding is coming up and we're going to Newcastle for Friday and Saturday night, which with... Uh, a loose enough crowd, I will say. The loosest crowd that I know. So uh, I'm both looking forward to it and, and dreading it at the same time. But it should be fun. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I just got my hair cut. Uh, I spent... What's the, there's a law that people talk about. Uh, what's the law? Where work expands to meet the time amount of time you have or something like that so like the more time you have the longer it will take to get your work done well it was the opposite of that for me today which was like okay shit actually I realize I don't have much time so I need to get a load of things done so it was like plans for clients Instagram post this podcast uh DGR interactive video for next week because I'm going to the stag, so Friday and Saturday. I was supposed to come home Sunday, but then I actually um, have to go, have to stay in England to do a little bit of work with an athlete on uh, Tuesday. So there wasn't really any point in me flying home Sunday and then flying back over Monday night or Tuesday morning. So I'm actually going to be in England from Friday till Tuesday evening. So yeah, I ended up having like a lot of. I, that wasn't part of the plan that just came up a couple of days ago. So I ended up having like a lot of work to do today. And turns out I got a lot of work done. So that confirmed it for me that it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually half the time I'm half the time I'm be, I'm not getting as much shit as I need to get done just because I have a little bit of extra time. But if I put myself under pressure, I can get things done a little bit easier. But then, yeah, you can get a bit anxious about that as well. And Kira is putting me under pressure. Uh, Kira, if you're listening to this, give me a break. Uh, I need a, I need a break. Um, so I will uh, do a solo pod. I'll just answer one or two questions. Get knock this pod out of the park. I have tennis in 55 minutes, so you can be guaranteed this podcast will be less than 45 minutes anyway. Um, then I have a barbecue. Then I have tennis in the morning as well, squeezing a little bit of tennis before I go to the airport. And that's it. So we have a few really good uh, guest episodes coming up soon if you're someone who likes the guest episodes. But um, I'm just going to just said I'd do a few kind of solos and then go back to the guests. So the question is first question is about the pelvis. So I had someone ask me just a broad enough question as part of um, DGR Interactive around like, when do you when do you think about tucking versus untucking a pelvis? So like if you break down the pelvis in three planes of motion, like so tucking and untucking or anterior and posterior tilting, if you want to call it that, or rotation, if you want to call it like anterior rotation, posterior rotation, I'll probably speak, I'll probably just use the language anterior tilt, posterior tilt. I will 
so I will use that language for this podcast because it makes it easier. So anterior tilt, you could call, I will call also maybe untuck and posterior tilt, I will call tuck of the pelvis. So that's sagittal plane. Then you have hikes and drops. So hike of the pelvis if it's my left side like my left pelvis gets higher than the right side so that could be a hike and a drop and then rotation transverse plane so the pelvis rotating towards the stance leg or away from the stance leg so they they were just asking like when would you can you just give a broad outline of when you would think about talking and untalking uh when you might rotate a pelvis when you might hike a pelvis and that's what I'm going to do. Um, now, I want to r- remind you that this is broad. There's, you can't cover, you can't ever cover like every eventuality. So there might be things that I say like, okay, I don't really do a talk of the pelvis in this situation. But then you'll see me working with a client and I'll be doing that. So I'm not, don't take that as me contradicting myself. Just take that as uh like you can never cover every eventuality and there will be always a time and a place for doing one thing or another but i'm just going to kind of generalize for the podcast of course i have a sneeze coming sorry (coughs) excuse me uh sorry um so let's start with the tucking and untucking of the pelvis and again i'm speaking broadly when would you tuck an untuck or untuck a pelvis? Or what drills would you think about doing that and kind of why? Um, for the most part, in the sagittal plane, I will try to keep the pelvis, I will try to leave the pelvis alone as much as possible. I'm trying to not tuck it or untuck it for uh, whenever possible. I won't cue it for the sake of it. I won't cue it because someone told me, like, yeah, you should always have your pelvis tucked or whatever. I'll mostly try to leave it alone. But in general, a lot of the time you might need to do a bit more of a tuck or a bit more of a posterior tilt at the pelvis in supine positions. So let's say you're lying on your back, something like a foam roller bridge. Someone is doing a foam roller bridge. You're more inclined to get someone to tuck their pelvis in that position because... It takes the lower back out of it a little bit more and it forces them to use a bit more of their leg. If you're thinking about bridging variations, you can like you can extend up through your back quite a bit. And even if you feel you can easily feel the difference between pushing up through your back and pushing down through your foot. Uh, through the floor or foam roller you'll feel very different one will be very back movement backy movement one would be a very leggy movement so in general in supine variations where we're bridging i will tend to have a little bit more of a tuck now all tucks aren't created equal you can be you can use your abs a shit ton to tuck the pelvis and actually it just becomes those bridges just be, kind of become a reverse crunch if you think about a hip thrust variation where your back is against the bench, your feet are on the floor and you're thrusting up or pushing up like glute bridging up, I don't really like to tuck the pelvis there. Um, I like to keep it pretty neutral if I can because I actually see people over tucking the pelvis there a lot and they are 
they're actually limiting the amount of hip extension that they can get, in my opinion. So I think a nice neutral pelvis there for the glute variations that you're doing, glute bridges and stuff like that. You'll also see that in um in like 45 degree hyperextensions, back extensions, that kind of that those kind of movements where people flex their spine and tuck their pelvis a lot. I think you just want a pretty neutral pelvis for those. But for far exercises and variations where you're looking for more hamstring, those are glute ones that I'm talking about, glute bridges, hip thrusts, more neutral pelvis is good there because you're squeezing the butt uh, and that butt squeeze should stop you from using your back as much. But the ones where you're not squeezing your butt as much, more hamstring bridges, wall strides, uh, foam roller bridges, stuff like that, a little bit of a tuck can be nice. So that's in supine. When would I consider um, tucking the pelvis in a standing position, like in split squats or hinges or uh, like wall acceleration drills or plyometrics or anything? I wouldn't. I, I almost would never tuck a pelvis in any of those drills. Um, almost never, not never, but rarely. For the most part, I think if you want to bias a little bit more of a slight posterior tilt um, or like a little bit more posterior expansion, then just do that with a constraint by holding a weight in front of you or using a slant board or something like that. Or if you're doing a plyo, like you're going to be looking for a more of a yielding variation that's going to allow the pelvis to kind of tuck in underneath and the knee to push forward so use your drills and again i'm not someone who doesn't mind i don't mind using my words as my cues and saying tuck your pelvis or untuck or whatever it's not that it's just that i just don't think tucking the pelvis is of much or any use in those standing ups drills um i just think if you want that little bit more posterior expansion then just putting the constraint in place of a front loaded position or something is going to be a little bit better or reaching your arms in front or keeping more heel pressure or something like that is going to allow that pelvis to tuck under a little bit more when might i anterior tilt the pelvis uh, again uh very rarely um i again the answer to this was like i pretty much apart from my floor variations my supine variations try to leave the pelvis alone i try to not cue it if you think about when some people you, you, you might see some people talking a pelvis doing a hinge for example and if you ask them why are you talking the pelvis there they will say it's because uh because my client is extending their spine so much so they're like ending up in a lot of spinal extension as they hinge down and so the answer their answer is okay i'm going to tuck their pelvis to stop them doing that that's the wrong answer in my mind if you think about a hinge variation what you're trying to do is hinge at the hip so if someone stands upright and they're not super extended and then as they hinge down they get more and more extended they are not hinging at their hip they are extending their back so the answer isn't stop them anterior tilting like they are anterior tilting through the hinge the answer isn't which might be what you want but i'm saying in this case it's someone doesn't want that the answer isn't to anterior tilt them more or uh, posterior tilt them more the answer is to teach them to flex their hip 
if I if you stood upright and I just karate chopped your hip, your you would just fold fold forward at the hip. Your spine would just fold fold forward. They, there wouldn't be more or less extension in your spine than there was when you were upright. And that's because you just move from your hip. So in our hinging variations, we want to just move from our hip, in, in my mind. Uh, and so I don't want to posterior tilt someone. And I don't want to anterior tilt someone either. Now, when I might anterior tilt someone is if they already are in a posterior tilted position or an anterior shifted position. So if their pelvis is tucked under or they're very squeezed and I want to get some length through the glutes and the hamstrings, then I will choose an anterior tilt. But the issue with trying to coach that is they're very squeezed. Usually if they're posterior tilted, they're very tight through their abs. And so when you ask them to anterior tilt, what they'll use is their back muscles you can even try that this yourself if you try an anterior tilt you'll you can try and use your back muscles like shortening with your erectors and that will pull your pelvis into an, into an anterior tilt this goes back to a principle that i have that i speak about quite a bit which is fighting tension with tension now you're just fighting someone has they're still tightening their glutes now they're still tight through their abs and now you just tighten their back as well so a really nice way to teach people to anterior tilt is to actually teach it to fall forward from the front, the pelvis, rather than pulling it up from the back. So you can do some gentle belly breathing. You can do just like relax that, that those abs. You can get some length through the abs, maybe by like getting some rib cage elevation and reaching the arms up in the sky and different drills. You can do a lot of things that will then help them actually anterior tilt. So out of their posterior tilted position so now they can do hinges and nice like bulgarian split squats and nice hip kind of flexing into the hip and loading up the hamstrings and the glutes and their posterior chain so that's when i might choose an anterior tilt but that's more to take someone out of a posterior tilt and allow them to get length in the around the back of the pelvis and hamstrings and all those tissues back there um, but again, I just spoke about how it's important how you cue that. It's not just pulling it up using your back erectors. It's actually it should it, it should feel incredibly different to you if you cue one. I'm going to anterior tilt by pulling it up using my back. You can even do this kind of seated. Or two, I'm just going to allow it kind of spill forward from the front. It's the second one that we want. So for the most part, I don't cue the pelvis. I try to just teach people to use their hips well. Flex your hip, extend your hip. You don't need to tuck. You don't need to untuck. You just use your hips really well. Um, if we take it into the frontal plane and we talk about just hikes and drops of the pelvis, um, I don't really cue that either, hikes and drops to the pelvis. The cool thing with uh, hike and drop of the pelvis is if you stand on one leg, you put your left foot forward and you bring your weight on top of that, you'll see the left side of your pelvis get a little bit uh, higher and your right side get a little bit lower. That is just because there's compression through that stance side of your body. So you'll see your rib cage kind of compress down into that left side. Your pelvis will come up higher on that left side. Your foot will be more compressed. Everything will be more compressed on your left side. So People, I think, get confused when they're trying to get a hike at the pelvis. 
and they're trying to maybe close off one side of the ribs and open up the other side or trying to just get get someone to hike their pelvis. They get confused and they see a hike on one side when they get on stance, into stance, and then a lack of a hike on the other side when they get into stance. And what they start to do is coach a hike uh, when they get uh, on the other side, decide that they can't get a hike on. by, and, And the client will do it by like, pulling up on their ql they'll drive their ql and they'll try and pull their pelvis up again that isn't how a hike occurs it's not a concentric pulling of the ql you'll see this with a lot of um people that are doing a lot of spinal flexion lateral flexion drills and stuff now trying to really like squeeze into one side as much as possible they're pulling up on their ql a lot and oh that isn't really how a, a, a hike like if you see a hike in dynamic drills and stuff it's coming as a result of ground reaction force so my foot is hitting the ground and that's that's kind of pushing that pelvis up a little bit on that side that same side it's not a concentric pulling up of the pelvis through the ql or anything around the kind of lower back area there it's it's coming as a result of my mass being on that side so for the most part you don't need to coach a hike it should just kind of happen a couple of reasons why a hike may uh not happen Mm, will it go there uh one thing if you see if you see like let's say you're doing a pronation drill you're you have your left foot forward again you're you're trying to pronate your left foot and like you should see a little bit of a hike on the pelvis on that left side as you come and bear weight on that left leg or on the right leg. It, you should see a bit of a hike coming into the pelvis, a small one, a subtle one. Guys, if you're sick of using calf and tibialis raises with yourself or your clients, hoping that they wor- will work, secretly knowing that they won't, then check out our foot program in the show notes. I'll teach you how I rehab and train all of my clients how to unlock their rear foot and their ankle how to pressurize their midfoot how to load and strengthen their forefoot how to build a connection from the foot to the hip how to progress through plyometrics it will open up so many tools in your toolbox and and completely transform how you view lower leg training so check it out you won't regret it if you don't see a hike, like it's very unlikely that they're actually getting their weight there. So what you can do to help that side uh, achieve a little bit of a hike is you can put a small book or a small block or something under that front foot so that they're naturally starting up a little bit higher on the left foot, just an inch or so. And now as they bring their weight forward, you will see the pelvis hike on that side and at the same time then, because if the pelvis, and you can all do this with me, even if you're seated, but if you just sit down like two feet on the floor underneath you and you hike up your left pelvis, you'll feel it pushing your head over onto the right. Like you'll just feel your whole body kind of push to the right if you just pull up your left pelvis. But if you pull up your left pelvis and then kind of laterally flex your, your upper body back to the left, that is that second one. That is what will happen if you uh, elevate the front foot a little bit and then bring your weight onto it. Because if that kind of head coming back over that side and that ribcage compressing on that side doesn't happen, you're actually going to fall back to the right side. So when you uh, elevate the front foot, that's going to hike the pelvis on that side a little bit. And now the body has to rearrange itself so that the ribcage kind of uh, the spine laterally flexes back to that side and the head is over that foot as well. So... 
that's one way, one really nice way of getting the pelvis to hike if you're not seeing a hike is just slightly elevate the front foot. And now either they have two options. One, they're going to kind of fall over back to the other side or two, much more likely, their vestibular system is going to just be like boop, 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 boop. And not just their vestibular system, but all of their systems in their body is just going to figure it out. And now you actually have a hike on the pelvis and the compression on that side of the ribs and the head is now back over that front side foot so that's how i would like consider cueing a hike when would i cue the opposite of a hike which is more of a drop or uh no let's not say a drop but when would i cue the other the other thing that i cue is like uh, i look at is a hip lock which you could consider partly a frontal plane it's not just frontal plane but um you see franz bosch people talk about this a lot which is Let's say I'm sprinting. I'm going to strike the floor. I don't want a big hike now on the stand side pelvis because I'm kind of dropping into deep dorsiflexion, then knee flexion, hip flexion, and it's just a little bit too slow and it's not a very uh, elastic movement if you're doing that. So you want the pelvis to be. Let's say I'm striking my left foot. I don't want. Um, I don't want the right side of the pelvis dropping down a lot and the left side of the pelvis hiking up a lot um, as I strike on that left side. I want it to be a bit more level and then I want eventually as I'm coming towards toe off, I want that right side to start to get up higher. Again, people will do hip lock type of drills. They're saying, okay, I'm on my left leg. I don't want my left, I don't want my right pelvis to, I'm on my left leg. I don't want my right pelvis to be dropping down so I'm going to use my right QL and like pull my right pelvis up. So now it looks like a hip lock. But this is a massive misunderstanding of what that position is because a hip lock is actually a co-contraction of all the hip muscles on the stance side leg. So it should be happening as a, mu- a result of, of a co-contraction and co-activation of the muscles on the stance side leg, which kind of pushes the free side pelvis up in the sky rather than a QL on the free side pulling the pelvis up on that stance leg or on that swing leg and like the the there being almost no activation of the muscles on the stance side hip. So you would want uh so that's where I would like maybe coach a frontal plane pelvis there where I'm looking to to get a bit more hip lock. But again people are I think misunderstanding the intention behind it and just using like QLs and stuff to pull the pelvis up rather than it being a hip thing. So that's kind of a frontal plane that where I would cue that. And then rotation is the other one. Uh, And where I would cue rotation, I actually cue rotation a shit ton. Um, It's the only one I really cue a lot. Uh, Sagittal plane, not much. I do spend a lot of time getting people out of posterior tilts and into more neutral pelvis and being able to anterior tilt in the sagittal plane. Uh, I do spend, no, I don't spend a lot of time working on frontal plane that much. Not that I'm not working on, I'm working on like getting them moving from side to side in the frontal plane. I'm just not cueing hikes and drops of the pelvis that much because it should kind of happen if you just coach your frontal plane drills well. You don't really need to cue the pelvis, which is what the question is. And then rotation. I do cue rotation quite a bit of the pelvis. And I usually cue it and coach it 
where we're rotating towards the stance side leg because that is where we're actually turning into that leg a little bit creating internal rotation at that stance side hip able to lengthen and load into our hip muscles there our glute muscles there um and it's just a nice position i think to produce force from and get into teach people to get into is rotating so i'll you i will use a subtle rotation in the pelvis towards the stance leg in exercises like bulgarian split squats regular split squats sometimes in lunges um kickstand hinges um you'll see me using medicine ball throws where we and medicine ball chops and kettlebell swings and stuff where we swing it to the outside of the stance side hip and that kind of turns the pelvis into that leg you're getting a bit of adduction and internal rotation there so i use a lot of that stuff sometimes i'm consciously cueing the rotation of the pelvis sometimes i'm just using the implement to help us do that sometimes i'm sometimes people are rotating too much sometimes not at all sometimes they're always rotating away from the stand side leg um so yeah that's where i would cue the rotation towards the stand side leg a lot and when i would cue rotation away from the stand side leg that kind of happens in your change of direction drills and your yeah like if you're in your plyometrics and stuff if you're doing 3d where i'm gonna let's say i'm let's say i'm landing on that left leg when i'm doing a skater bound or something there's going to be a small little bit of rotation towards that stance leg and then as i push out i'm going to rotate away so a lot of the rotation away just kind of happens after the rotation in so i think if you can really get to rotate in very well you'll usually get to rotate out very well um but the opposite isn't true if you always kind of rotate away from the stance leg i i I rarely see the opposite being true it's just nah you just won't be able to rotate in there you won't be able to load in there in the first place um and that's where a lot of people experience a lot of knee valgus and like yeah some kind of hip issues and it band issues and stuff they just can't rotate into that side they can't create adduction and internal rotation on that stance leg so that's where i'll cue a lot of rotation you will see in the foot program i do cue rotation away from the stance leg in some of the pronation drills and what that is doing is it's actually pulling the pel- the femur and the tibia into internal rotation and it's almost like and the rear foot it's almost like driving pronation into a foot um that is very stubborn and that works really really well we're using the pelvis to drive that rotation uh that works particularly well with stubborn feet that rotating away from the stand side leg but you just don't want to always teach that you might use that to help a foot experience pronation but you still need to help a hip experience internal rotation by rotating it towards the stand side leg in a slightly different drill so hopefully that makes sense uh hopefully i didn't go too fast there and i do appreciate that maybe i did and i do appreciate that visuals would be helpful but that is what djr interactive is for and you can see all the things i spoke about in the foot program in lower body basics in djr interactive where i dive in a lot deeper and i'm not saying you should go and sign up for these things you should but i'm just saying sometimes on a podcast it's a bit tricky um okay hopefully that isn't everything i could say but like is enough to say about that um okay next one 
Mm, will we answer this? Okay, one or two more short ones. Do you use the Zercher position a lot? And do you use it as a more expansive squat option? So Zercher position, we have a barbell in like the crook of your elbows in front of you. Um, I don't use it that much anymore. If you look back for anyone that was on the knee pain webinar, uh, which was three or four years ago now, you will see I had a few Zercher variations in there. If you look back through my old Instagram, or not my old, my Instagram account from like six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, you'll see a lot of Zercher stuff there. Zercher like step up, Zercher split squats. I used it a lot. Um, and I still think it can be very, very useful position, but it's not an expansive position like, like, as in, like a lot of the, some of the reasoning you'll see with the Zercher is that it's more expansive than a back squat. So, like, okay, this person is very extended, and I'm going to put the load at the front, but like all they do is the exact opposite. They just crunch down and squeeze like hell. So, like, if you're using heavy weight, it's not more expansive. It's just a different position. It's still very compressive. It's very, very compressive. And it's not more expansive in the back of your body. It's like you're still squeezing everything in your body. It just, It's just you're more squeezed at the front than you were. So it's not more exp- expansive. Like if, if, you're, if you're loading it up as well, it's not more a more expansive position, but it is a different position, which is the key point. So like vari- variation and variability in your training is important. And I do use Zercher split squats because it does allow you to like, uh, really, you can train like hip extension before knee extension. Um, you can, you can, do really nice things with a Zercher. So like, yes, I do use it. I just don't use it a lot because because I don't think it's doing what other people say it's doing. And I don't think peop- it's doing what I used to think it was doing, which was this is more expansive. It's, it's not really. It's, if anything, like it's just, it can be a lot shitter for some people where actually now you just don't use your hips at all. And no, you don't teach someone to posterior tilt there. They just dump into lumbar flexion when they do it which again isn't a bad thing but it's not doing what people think it's doing so in terms of do i use it yes i use it not as much as i used to uh is it a more expansive squat option no if you're loading it it's still a very compressive option again which isn't a bad thing it's just not as expansive as you might think and um yes i think it's a really cool position to load up and be and be part of your training variety and variability and yes you can do great things with all different types of squats uh so yeah i think that answers that question uh, i guess the key point is there it's not an ex- like it's not more expansive you're not going to restore range of motion with a heavy zercher squat just like you're not going to restore range of motion with a heavy back squat you're just squeezing too much um but you're yeah for the most part you're not going to for the most part you're not going to but it might help you feel good because all you ever do is put a back loaded position so now you have a front loaded position in a different way and maybe you can load it up heavy and and do some different things and build strength in a different way um okay and then let's see last one maybe do you use the knee resting with a do you use the knee resting with the foam roller in front 
or a bench in front when you're doing kickstand hinge. Um, again, similar to the last exercise or last question, uh, you will have seen me use that stuff in the past where you have a knee against the bench in front so that the idea is you're delaying the extension or you're um, limiting the extension altogether almost or you're uh, focusing on hip extension before knee extension. So again, for several years ago, you will see me using that stuff where there's a foam roller against the wall, knee is there, or a bench in front, knee is there, or whatever, various types of things, and the knee is there. Uh, now, I mostly won't use it. And again, you will see me use it sometimes, but I most, or my hand there, yeah, like, oh yeah, my hand is a better option, actually, or a stick or something like that. I mostly won't use it. And it. I see a lot of people using it now, and if you know how to look at a hinge and you see them using that, you can almost be guaranteed, if you know what you're looking at, that they're not hinging well. Because if, if it's someone that needs to rest their knee in front and, uh, as a reference point, it's very likely that they can't hinge and you're trying to use that to help them to hinge. But by the knee being that far in front you're in such a positive shin angle that they also don't have that much dorsiflexion um, without borrowing it from, and this is a bit of a tricky one to help to, to go into now because the visuals would be helpful, but like when you push your knee that far forward, the pelvis will tuck underneath with it uh, for almost everyone. And now you're trying to hinge from a pelvis that is tucked underneath and now to come out of that position, you have to extend your back a lot. So, so it, it pushes people into too far of a positive shin angle. And it is much worse, in my opinion, much, much worse. I'm going to put an exclamation after point after that to teach people to do it that way because they're not really getting any length through any of the glute now or any of the hamstrings versus I would rather they just kept extending their knee and hinged rather than doing it with the knee so far forward. That's a bad option. Um, so that's an example of like where the, it's a really good, the thought process behind it is good. It's from people, like people that are using that are like, oh yeah, okay, I want to actually teach them to move from the hip, but so I block the knee in this position. Trust me, I've been there it doesn't work. It's a really good thought process and you're on the right track, but it doesn't work because you're actually pulling the sit bone underneath when you push the knee forward like that. So um, really the answer is just teach people to hinge better and you won't need to do that. I understand that like you might want to use a constraint. So you'll have seen me use the band where I attached a band around a rack and now I stood with the knee in front of the band so now every time the knee comes back it hits off the band and they get a little bit of feedback there but they're not resting their knee against something i also when i coach it one-on-one -on -one with clients i might put my hand at the back of their knee so that they can feel them if they're pushing back into me or i might put my hand at the front of their knee but they're not resting into my hand and also my hand isn't too far forward it's in the right spot so Doing this, doing the kickstand hinges with too much of a positive shin angle is worse than doing it with not a, not a positive shin angle at all. Because 
That way you will completely rob people's ability to hinge. And anyone you see online doing that, if you look closely, and I, I, I'm not, this is important. I'm not, I'm not saying like they don't know what they're doing or anything like that. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular. This is like every single time I do a workshop, I see five people tag me in it or put up this stuff. Oh, look, I figured this out. And I'm like, I don't want to say it to you, but I figured that out years ago. And also I figured out it doesn't work. It doesn't work because you're in too much of a positive shin angle and their their pelvis is tucking under with them. And now you just have to do a messy hinge. So uh, play around with it, feel it yourself. But for the most part, just don't use that. Uh, it, it it's uh, being in too much of a positive shin angle is worse than not being in a positive shin angle at all that's all i'll say there um okay uh, fuck i know that sounds ranty it, it came across worse than it should uh it's just and again what so okay just to really clarify what i'm saying there is what i'm saying there is like like everything like i just put up a post today about like the sprinting arm drills people are doing where they're seated and sprinting with their arms at 90 degrees and i'm like that's that's a bit shit that doesn't work it's not anything personal it's not uh i guarantee you that came from a good thought process at some stage for someone and it just keeps getting like extrapolated out and it ends up in a in a shit drill that doesn't really work and that's fine it's absolutely fine so to clarify like my point there that is not a bad thought process. It just doesn't work for the vast, vast, vast majority of people at the end of the day. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not like there's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't work particularly well, in my opinion, but I'm open to being wrong. All right. I'm always af- like not afraid, but I'm always I don't want to be critical on the podcast. Like it's never being critical. It's like there's so much that I could say. I get asked all the time about different systems and different what's part of it. This thought process, that thought process, and half the time I don't answer it because, like, I might have learned from a certain system, and now I'm going to be the one saying like, mm, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. It's not in a disrespectful way. It's just in a way that it's like, it's just a more of a matter of fact way. And I don't even mean matter of fact as in this is a fact that I'm right. I just mean matter of fact as in here's what i think and i'm very respectful to these people i'm very respectful to this system i'm very respectful to whoever it is i just i'm going to give my thoughts but that online i'm sure you could have that conversation with whoever it is these people these systems if you're sitting in a coffee shop with them and say yeah i don't agree with that thing and this thing and this thing and they would say yeah well here's why and i don't agree with what you're saying blah 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 and it would all be fine but when you say something online it comes across as a it comes across as a dig and and all that and i don't want it to be like that i just want to be able to put out information and say here's what i think in a non in in a respectful way here's what i think all right so um so yeah uh okay i think that's the pod uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully it was semi-helpful. Um, yeah, let me know either way. And uh, yeah, I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend. Hopefully I have a good weekend in Newcastle. I don't die. If I did, if I do, then so be it. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a good ride and uh, love you all. So chat to you guys, hopefully next week.